As one of the numbered editions, the Standard H Defender Watchbox serves as a salute to our military as well as a nod to one of my absolute favorite vehicles of all time, the Land Rover Defender. Tireless energy has gone into the transformation of a 50 caliber ammo can into a luxurious product. The box's 8-watch capacity is perfect for those with smaller collections or those traveling with a subset of a larger group. The Defender Watch Box willfully serves as your watch's go-to companion for attending watch meetups or carrying a select arsenal on a trip. Though the name of the watch box derives from a Land Rover, the details stem from more than one vehicle in a true standard age fashion. The inside houses two wooden trays handmade by artisans in Florence, Italy from poplar wood and then elegantly lined in the same Alcantara suede found in GT-level Porsches and 99% of modern supercars. This plush detail is the exact type of accommodation your timepieces deserve. The padded diamond pattern under the box's lid is a nod to the seat designs found in Mercedes G-Wagons as well as the Koenigsegg Agera R. Also inside is a bespoke aluminum owner's plate displaying your name and box number. Included is a certificate of authenticity I personally fill out and hand emboss with a standard H logo. The subtle shift logo badge on the outside is made from cast white bronze in the age-old lost wax tradition of jewelry making, then antiqued and hand polished. Each Defender watch box is made to order and placed in a wooden crate that I build and paint in my garage, which will no doubt be a fun event for you to open with the included miniature pry bar. Available in three iterations, the watch box comes in signature Standard H Garage Collection Stealth, which is black with gray interior for a sleek modern aesthetic, OD green with cognac interior for a true military look, and omakase where no two purchases are the same. You and I will exchange an email regarding your personal preferences, which will aid in the completion of your Defender watch box and crate as a departure from the normal offering. As an added bonus, 10% of each OD Green purchase is donated to Heart and Armor, which is a foundation focusing on veteran health. As always, thank you so much for supporting Standard H. Today's guest is Jannard Sutton. I actually met Jannard as he was walking down the sidewalk in front of my house while I was checking my mail. It was one of the more random introductions I've had in recent memory, that's for sure. We chatted for roughly 10 minutes that day, and I found out several things. He lives near me, he enjoys IPAs, and he's a content creator. This was all the information I needed to realize we'd become friends. And it's certainly been fun getting to know some of my friends even further through this podcast, and this conversation is definitely no exception. Jannard talks about life in North Carolina as a black kid listening to rock music, and how he was led down the punk rock road by the most unpredictable source. Jannard is definitely a hustler. He worked multiple jobs at once to make ends meet, and offers a glimpse into what stress can really do to a person. Meanwhile, as Jannard was trying to break into radio, he created a podcast in the same way many DJs would. He created playlists through the platform that effectively served as his own radio station. His resilience is inspiring to say the least. All of this is what led to his start in the audio-video space for restaurants, a segment I love following along through his social media platforms. This episode is a little different by way of Jannard turning the tables on me a little bit. It's definitely more of a two-way conversation after learning Jannard's story, and it was a super fun exercise, so I hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Cool. Well, um, Jannard Sutton, you and I have been talking about 
laying down a track for quite a while. A year. Uh, a, a year. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's been a year. You've heard the show. You understand kind of where we begin. Where Where did your life begin? You're from North Carolina. Yep. Um, yeah, well, life began in North Carolina, and I've uh, been out there in North Carolina for over at least most of my childhood and moving into my adulthood. And then right after college, I was like, you know what, I think it's time for a change of pace. For me, North Carolina really didn't give me culture. I mean, yeah, there's bigger cities, but I grew up in like a really small town. You know, I grew up in like a country town. I mean, it was very segregated. I mean, I listened to rock. So like I was teased in high school even about, you know, some black kid listening to rock and roll. What bands were you into? Oh man, I was into punk. Like okay. I was, yeah, I was. I grew up listening to like started out with like Jimi Hendrix, then like a little bit of grunge rock, like uh, Nirvana, Bush, Third Eye Blind. I guess no, that's not really uh, grunge. That's more just regular alternative. Uh, and then moved on into punk with like Blink One Eighty Two. Um, this is like pre Enema the State Blink One Eighty Two though. Right. Like, dude, right. Like Dude Cheshire Ranch. Cat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah got it. Uh, and then like No Effects, Lagwagon, and stuff like that. Oh, the Fat so Records I, brand. Yeah. Bands. Exactly. But I was teased for that, you know, so I was like, you know, I just need to, you know, obviously get out of a small town and I just had my eye on California for so long. And I was like, you know what, I think after college, that might just be my destination. And right right after college, did my internship out in L.A., UCLA. And from there, that was it. Came back home, did radio for three months and really loved radio to the point where I was like, well, I don't really have experience. But, you know, I went to school for broadcast, broadcasting have three months of, you know, radio experience, maybe moving to a bigger city on the West Coast to give me more opportunities than it would in a smaller city. Okay. So I was just like, you know what, let's just, me and my best friend was like, you know, I've been wanting to get out of town too, so let's make it work. So I was like, all right, well, I got my heart set to San Diego for some reason. Maybe it's the tacos or the weather or something. (laughs) I don't know yet. And yeah, he was all on board. And yeah, 2006, moved out here with two suitcases and yeah, that's my story, man. And Wow. Okay. So you, you sped through a lot of it. So I want to back up just a little bit. But yeah. what, um, so what town in North Carolina are you from? I'm from Goldsboro. Goldsboro. Yeah, Gold and City. So you and I met because, let's see, this was about a year ago. Yeah, maybe a little more than a year ago now. That's crazy. Right. And I remember I walked out to check my mail and down the sidewalk walks a guy and <laughs> It was either a black shirt and an orange logo or an orange shirt with a black logo. I can't remember. It was an orange shirt with a white logo. Or a white logo. Okay. Yeah. I, knew, I knew orange was a part of that picture. And it said something about Goldsboro, North Carolina. And having grown up in Raleigh, Goldsboro's what, 50 minutes away? Yeah, maybe 45, 50 minutes. Yeah. I had driven through Goldsboro a litany of times. Mm-hmm. And I actually one of my oldest friends moved to Goldsboro in high school, but I think she only lived there for like a year or something, maybe two. And I was just like, hold up. I am in San Diego and a dude is walking down (laughs) the sidewalk with a Goldsboro of all places. Goldsboro. Like, I didn't even know you guys had merch. Like we don't, (laughs) we don't (laughs) where anyway, that's a whole other conversation as to where you got the shirt. But like, I had to stop you (laughs) and say, listen, man, I'm from Raleigh why are you wearing this shirt are you from there and that's that's how we met now in goldsboro what did your folks do 
Uh, my mom, she basically worked in the medical field too. She was like kind of like a nurse assistant. Okay. Um, for I guess assistant living uh, for the mentally challenged. Got it. And then my stepdad, he worked kind of the same, but for the mentally ill. So he was dealing more with people with mental illness that on the levels of like um, bipolar type, like type medical problems or mental problems like that. And then my mom worked with people with more on the like mental, I guess, retardation uh, where they couldn't live on their own, but they also couldn't do the basics of life, you know, like wash themselves and stuff like that. Understood. And that's yeah. how they met too. Oh, no so, way. They met at work. Yeah. So they met in the middle. Med- I guess that you would call that the medical field. So, sure. So, yeah. That's cool. So where did you go to undergrad? So undergrad for me was at Barton College, which was Wilson in Wilson County. Right. And I uh, went for, it was like a liberal, small liberal arts Christian college. And I did mass communications with concentrations of video broadcasting and audio recording. Got it. Small, small little school, almost like the size of a high school, to be honest with you. Got it. So who introduced you to Hendrix then? Was it your stepdad, your mom, or? I actually discovered Hendrix just... Or like classic rock radio, yeah, right? Radio stations, yeah. Because for some odd reason, I just loved the way guitars sound, and I just love that grungy sound. And I honestly probably discovered Jimi Hendrix probably through the radio, but just that whole genre of music was probably through like Beavis and Butthead and <laughs> and those old '90s shows, you know. Because totally, I'm in, I I come from a very like I'm gonna say strict Christian family. But, you know, being in the South, it was either I grew up last listening to like maybe hip hop or rap or whatever, or it'll be highly into Christian music, gospel or whatever. So it's just funny how my interest just was on the other spectrum, you know, especially back in the early, you know, 90s. Sure. So my first cassette tape literally was like Stone Temple Pilots Core. That's and, amazing. Uh, Metallica and Justice for All cassette tape. No kidding. <laughs> I had those on CD, but. Let's see, I had cassette tapes, obviously, mm. but I think Michael Jackson's Thriller. Yeah, I had on cassette. My dad had it on vinyl, but yeah, man, that's crazy. So, what introduced you to punk then? Because as a North Carolina kid, I mean, Blink is obviously a San Diego band. Yeah, that's true. Um, all the Fat Records bands; those were West Coast. Those were all much, West Coast, pretty much. Yeah, and so Epitaph like, Records too. Who got you into punk? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to say gospel music. It's funny because... Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Co- okay, so it's funny because most punk, if it's like skate punk, hardcore punk, has like that super crazy fast like drum beat. Right. And a lot of times in gospel, especially when you go to church, um, when people are like up shouting. I don't know if you've ever been to a Baptist, like a black Baptist church before. I've seen videos, but I've yeah, never been. but they like they get up and they're like shouting and, and going crazy. Yeah. But there's a specific beat in gospel or in church when people start getting up shouting. They do that beat that you hear in punk music. So I'm like, so the Fat Records bands. They were notorious for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that really fast, like crazy. So Eric Gent, the drummer from No Effects, yeah, like, that dude laid it down. Yeah, like, he laid it down, and yeah. I, I forgot what you call it. There's a specific way they call it the triple or the double something hit with the when the um when the bass pedal hit like that. It's, it's almost like a, like a double beat. bass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's what they did in gospel. Like when you're in church and they're shouting and they're like going crazy the drummer just has that simple beat and he's just going fast and 
Yeah, I used to love that. I, it I was had so no entertaining idea. to me. That's crazy. So when I so when I got discovered to Blink One Eighty Two when Dammit came out and he's playing Josie, I'm like, whoa, like they're playing church music, you know? I'm like, whoa, that is pretty awesome with with guitars and everything. Because keep in mind, I was listening, to, I was already listening to like heavy, like heavier music, right? That never really introduced like that style of drumming before right you know like stone temple pilots isn't going to play that fast or nirvana maybe metallica but even then they really didn't play like that you know earlier like master puppet stuff was like maybe maybe. a little faster but like i feel like the injustice for all album was not quite as fast not quite as fast but it was there though but not as much where wasn't like thrash metal yeah where it was kind of like when i got introduced to you know dude ranch album and that whole Fat Records, like, combination. Remember those combination CDs you can go and get at the CD store for, like, a dollar? It was, like, $2. Yes. And they give you, like, 20 songs. Yes. Yeah. I, like, fell in love with that. And I was totally like, man, this forgot. is, like, almost like gospel music, but for, I guess, for punk rockers. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the initial concept was I just love the style of punk. And then I really got more involved with, you know, their messaging, you know? Like, I could relate to some of the songs, you right. know? So, it was kind of really, it was really cool how I interpreted punk rock to being in the church and seeing how, you know, Southern Baptist black churches and liking that style of music that you only hear on rare occasions because normally a drummer at church won't play that unless there's someone out shouting or running around the church. <laughs> that's when he goes and do that that beat. So yeah, that's that's my story, dude. It was like I loved the way I just love that drum beat. That's so crazy, man. So how did the kids at Barton College receive you? You know what? It was weird. It was because I had transitioned from being in high school where it was kind of weird being like, oh, there's this black kid who's, they called me Hootie, which is uh, now <laughs> Darius I was, Rucker. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> out of all people, why can't I be like Hendrix or Lenny Kravis, you know? Because well, they didn't have that education. Yeah. And it's just weird because there's so many awesome black guitarists and black rock and roll player you know musicians but when someone calls you hootie you take offense to it because i'm only laughing because it's crazy yeah and it's actually kind of funny too because i took it to a to offense because to me hootie is more like pop rock or poppy you know so uh, absolutely yeah so when i'm like i listen to rock or whatever if you call me hendra it's cool or if you call me like you know oh you're lenny kravis or whatever even if you're trying to like break my balls a little bit then I'm like oh okay whatever you know I get it I'm a black guy who listens to white music I guess back in back in the day but when you call me Hootie that's actually like like out of all bands why are you gonna call me Hootie you know I don't listen to Hootie you know so I don't know but um but well, when I went like th- like most things anything involving race is it stems yeah. from ignorance yeah exactly I mean that's just plain yeah. and simple we've yeah. seen a lot of that lately yeah oh yeah absolutely and when I went to college, everybody, you know, it's, it's a new start almost, yeah. you know, it's like moving here too. It was just a fresh start. Like I was able to kind of get out of my shell a little bit, even though I was only 10 miles away from home mm-hmm. and a lot of people are still from North Carolina, but you still get a very few people that are not from North Carolina. So their cultures are way different. Right. So I feel like a lot more people are more accepting of, you know, like who cares what kind of music you listen yeah. to, you know, like who cares what your background is because we're all now in this new world and we're all have to try to figure out our place in society now, you know, no one knew what we did in high school, you know, high school yeah. was almost 
a waste of time for some people. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like going to college, you can almost reinvent yourself, exactly. especially if you go to a school where you don't have a lot of your friends from high school going to that yep. school, obviously. Yeah. So did the internship at UCLA come right after undergrad? Yep, right after. And that was in radio, you said? It was, um, I want to say theater arts and broadcasting. Okay. Um, because I was looking for a way to intern at a recording studio and or like a news station. But it was really hard trying to find that, at least trying to find it in like California while I'm in North Carolina. So I saw a lot of, a bunch of these camps that were like looking for like camp counselors that can like be mentors to people that were like maybe middle school to high school age that were into video production and theater arts and singing and stuff like that. So I just was like, hey, are you guys taking internships? Like I would love to go to the campus and take these kids to school and or class. And then whenever they're done with class, they come to us, the counselors, and we just hang out with them and they pick our brains about their assignments that they might have to do. So I thought that was just a great opportunity. And I thought it was also a great opportunity for me to just get out of North Carolina for a summer. Sure. And it worked out. I was, I was, you know, to the point where it was just like, I have to get out of, out of North Carolina or at least Goldsboro. Right. So, right. right. So that was a really good, good uh, experience for me um, being away from home. Miles away, millions, not, not millions, but like thousands of miles away from home. Really, it was feels nice. like millions. Yeah, sometimes. yeah, it was nice. It was so nice. your best friend that you rec did you kind of recruit him to come out here with you? Or was he already sort of mindset? I need to get out to. How did that how did the move happen? Um, it was about the same because initially before I did my internship, he had already been to California, more northern California. And he raved about it, too. He, like, loved it. He was like, man, if I can move out to California, specifically L.A., like, he would be happy. And I already told him, like, I had my eyes set for more, like, Southern California, too, like, maybe, like, San Diego. And I was like, hey, I'm going to try to do this internship um, at UPSA, uh, USPA, sorry. And he was like, yeah, I'm on board, too. And he actually ended up going to the same camp and doing the camp with me. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, because it was paid, too. So we got paid. But I did mine as a paid internship. Got it. So, yeah, that's how I initially talked him into at least going back to California to do the camp with me. And then while we were at camp, we're like, you know what? Because we bought one-way tickets. We're like, we're not coming home. Oh, so you flew out here. We, yeah, we flew. You didn't drive. Yeah, we flew to US, uh, UCLA for, the, um, for, the, for the, the internship. And then we were like, let's just get a one-way ticket and not and just try to look for a place. So we literally like packed up our stuff and was like, we're not coming home. No kidding. But we so, ended up coming home though. So you went, Oh, okay. Got yeah, it. Got yeah, it. Cause that was the home. internship. And then that you went internship. back for three months. You yeah, said, yeah. But then did he come out with you? He came out with me. Yeah. After the three months. Yeah. I stayed here for three months or I stayed home, North Carolina for three months. And then we flew back out. Got it. Yeah. And you flew to LA again? Or? Yeah, we flew to LA and then we hung out in Orange County for a little bit. And then, um, then yeah, because we had like a place here in San Diego. Oh, you knew somebody? Yeah, because we knew someone. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Is it he was, still here? He's still here in LA now, though. He's in LA. Okay. Yeah. So that's cool. That's where he wanted to be. He's more in the like writing and more like, more like film. I see. So, so he's, he's in quote writing. unquote the business. Yeah. Up yeah. There. Yeah. Got it. So, so, 
for you then what was your first job when you landed in san diego yeah my first job was insurance yeah selling insurance uh, i was more like uh i was more like workers comp and i was more underwriting i was okay. doing more the underwriting part so people selling insurance would come to me for a quote and i'll give them one of the four quotes they might be trying to sell got it and it was more on the level of i guess workers comp like bigger corporations and construction uh, corporations and stuff like that so how long did you do that so i did that for about six years oh wow yeah so i did that six years and then did uh television as a camera operator off and on part-time for about three or four years i believe so then you are while working full-time yeah oh wow so what yeah. were you doing full-time the insurance yeah that's what i'm saying i'm doing i was oh, doing the insurance, oh i see i see yeah so yeah. at the same time you were operating the camera yeah so yeah. then when did you stop the insurance D did you become a camera guy the full-time or nah i ended up leaving that job because they went fully automation so they didn't even need like camera guys anymore they just set up like a still cam. Yeah, like still cameras, robotic cams, robotic audio, all that stuff. So I didn't even need me to do any of that. So, so yeah, that was the turning point of television, really. They like laid off um, a lot of people um, around like 2000, probably right after the the um, the economy went down a little bit. In, so like, was 2009? That 2000? Yeah, they, they okay. were like, yeah, let's just do the robotic thing. We'll invest a few thousand dollars into the new, uh, new system so that way we can save money on on employment and yeah that's what they did and a lot of people lost their jobs or got laid off and i, I was one of those people where they were going to keep us on call but it was like i don't want to come in and just do like two hours for like at that time they were charging us like 10 12 dollars an hour just to be in the studio for just an hour so you're making like like a $20 paycheck sometimes. So I was like, no, nah, it's wow. not worth it. Yeah. So, so, you know, that's why I kept my full-time job because I was, while I was keeping the insurance job, I was trying to find something full-time. But during those times, those part-time time days with uh, Fox 6 at the time, yeah, it wasn't happening. So, so I just had to move on, stay with insurance until an opportunity at Uni Union Tribune happened. So what did you do for Union Tribune? At Union Tribune, I started out as uh, video editing for their new show called UTTV. Okay. Like, I don't know if you were here yet. They launched this whole network. Um, it was like a digital network where they would do a lot of online content, but they would also try to push it out through Cox Cable. Got it. And uh, actually AT&T AT U-verse too. Okay. But it failed. But I mean, at that point, I was producing, I was writing, I was doing video editing, and I was kind of like a photographer, too. All for one show. It was crazy. Now, did you have a photo background? Um, not really. So no. you were learning on the job? I was learning how to take good photos. What? And I was learning how to write for television at the same time. What were you shooting with back then? Back then, they had, a, they had Sony cameras. And they also had Canon cameras, which was nice. So I was using the Canon Mark, 5D Mark II. Oh, wow. For both photo and video. No kidding. And I fell in love with it. And from there, I mean, that's that, one of my skill sets now. I'm a photographer and a videographer as well. But I felt like my strong point was more video because that's what I went to school for. So when they was like, hey, we have this opportunity that we think you have would be a great fit, like a year into working at Union Tribune, it's like, hey, you should produce this entertainment show. So I went for it. I was like, well, I mean, I have no idea what producing is even though that's what I've been doing for most of my 
career is being a producer. Um, and I don't know how to write for television, but I learned quickly. Right. And it was like, hey, here's a show. You have 30 minutes to piece together a 30 minute show. Make wow. it work. And I'm Did like, that stress you out ever? Um, I've ga- I gained over 60 pounds producing that show. Cause it was like I would wake up at like three thirty, and also I lost. I got my car repossessed too because I couldn't afford my car payments because I took a pay cut. This is when okay. Let me back back real quick. So after you, so after I worked in insurance, I went to Union Tribune full time. Right. But I took a pay cut. So I took a pay cut to work for Union Tribune. So now we can fast forward back to the producing. So I would get up at three thirty to catch the bus because I no longer had a car anymore because oh I couldn't God. afford it. And I'll take the bus to Union Tribune, and I will get there around 4, prep for my show that we were going to film at 8, and then we'll film from 8 to 8.30, and then from 9 to maybe 7, 8 p.m., I would probably prep for my next show, or I will do all the social media stuff I needed to do, or I will go out and shoot something that I needed to be shot for the show, because I had no help. Right. And then I would get on the bus, get home at 10, Make a frozen pizza, have a coffee stout from Coronado Brewing Company. They no longer sell it. I wish they did, but they don't. <laughs> and then I go to sleep, wake up, do it all over again. So that was my routine. I will wake up and do, do wash, rinse, repeat for the whole week. Oh my goodness. And we would have crazy segments. We'll have like food segments. We'll have breweries come in and like do a segment. So they're leaving all kinds of food and beers and drinks. So I'm literally like enjoying life. Well, it's a good thing you're riding the bus too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm <laughs> riding the bus with a bus because that's the only way to get from A to B at the time. Oh man. Yeah. How long was your bus ride? An hour, you said? Not even an hour. It was like okay. the reason why I had to get up so early was because there's pockets of when you can get on the bus. So if I need to get to work before six, the bus routes aren't as consistent yet until right. a certain amount, certain hour. So at that hour, if it was like maybe stopping at that bus stop maybe twice an hour, so I'm trying to get on the bus at like 5.30 in the morning. Right, so if you miss one, it's an hour later. But, I mean, I was in North Park, so Union Tribune was in Mission Valley. Oh, super close. So it was like a 15-minute bus, well, maybe a 30-minute bus ride. Right. So, yeah, it was super easy to get on the bus, and it was one-stop shop, too. I get on one bus, drops me right off at um at the mall at the fashion valley mall and i'll just walk over got it so you gained 60 pounds though <laughs> yeah so obviously weight. a lot of that was stress you probably yeah. weren't sleeping Drinking, much. eating a lot no sleep but i was young though right ish, youngish yeah right so then okay then what's the next step next step was me after doing all that the network failed you uttv stopped and then they just had me as a writer and a reporter for about a year, I think. What would you report on? I would just write about top concerts, uh, new music out for the week. That's cool. Um, yeah, happy hours. <laughs> um, yeah, just stuff like that. Just food content, entertainment content is what I did for both the Union Tribune and Discover SD at the time. So this all, would you say, prepared you for what you do now? Or do you think it's the reason you do what you do now? I think it prepared me because i was already kind of doing what i do now while i was there okay and while i was at my other job as well you're kind of like me where you wear several hats yeah so and you work completely for yourself right Mm -hmm. 
Now, do you hire out any editing or anything like that? You do everything yourself. When there's a budget. If there's a budget where I don't have to do any editing and it's a skill set that's more advanced than my own, okay. then I will more than likely hire, hire someone out. out. Yeah, if I need another videographer. Okay, so just so people know. Oh, yeah. Run down the list of what you do these days. Okay. <laughs> All right, so nowadays is um, I'm a photographer. I'm also a videographer. I finally figured out what my title is. I'm more of like a digital content creator slash multimedia um, guy or guru or whatever. Got because it. I have a platform that is online digitally, obviously. And at one point I was podcasting. So I was in that podcasting realm as well as being on Instagram, Twitter, providing content for the restaurant, you know, industry. Yeah, then, you pretty much specialize in like food and beverage. Yeah, right? food and beverage, I would say, is my special, you know, what I specialize in in regards to content wise. Um, and then business wise, I like to kind of space it out in multiple industries that might need my services as well. And you focus mostly on kind of mom and pop type setups or like restaurants where there's only one or two, or do you focus ever on like franchises or larger businesses? I try to do a combination of both just because I like to be able to help the mom and pause because they're a little bit more easier to work with at some, t at some points because I can be their only contact for that. And then I do work with like franchises, like um, I've worked with OGs and some of the bigger, I'll say bigger local um, franchises, right. like OGs and um, some beer companies too. Um, so yeah, it, it's not like nationally uh, franchises, but like definitely local or even West Coast, like uh, ITAN, I don't know if you heard of ITAN, they're like a tanning salon or kind of thing over here on the West Coast, they're pretty big and they're they were like one of my biggest clients i've ever had right so you're okay so the content and sort of the the services you provide are you take photos of their products basically yeah. right yeah so like you're taking shots of a hamburger or shots of their pizza mm -hmm. and that's for them to use those assets wherever they want yeah be it their website instagram yep. etc okay. yeah so i help them with their marketing needs their social media needs and then I also work a lot with a lot of PR companies in town. Sure. So if they need media coverage, because I'm also considered media, depending on um, how you get a hold of me. Sometimes I'm pr providing content in the media world, meaning I'm writing articles. I'm providing editorial content is what I like to call it, which is basically something that you would find from a media outlet. Sure. And I might want, I used to be kind of, I guess I still am, but I'm, like, I'm on that level as well. So how many clients do you carry at any given moment, would you say? Any given moment, it can vary from four to like 12. Okay. And then next month can be eight to 12. So Standard H calls you up, says, Jernard, like, I need your help. Mm-hmm what is your move? Like you just open up your calendar and see where you can yeah. fit me in. Yeah. I That's would ask you, I'll ask you, well, you need my help. What do you need? Do you need, um, uh, you need product shots? Do you need a video or do you need media coverage? Right. Like, what do you want me to just, uh, are you going to give me a product that you want me to take a picture and be in it and then post it to my Instagram? Or do you want me, or do you want to hire me to come in and take photos of your product or do you need a video like about us video or something like that? So for food and restaurants, I I'm assuming, so correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong, 
most of those photo shoots take place in their restaurant or their space? Sometimes. Okay, so not yeah, all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes there might be a situation where it's a product like, um, here's an example, one of my clients, Must Catch. They are a mustard and ketchup brand from Chicago. <laughs> So Yeah, right. It's crazy. So their marketing company will contact me and say, hey, we want to do a product shot of our product with different recipes. So they will hire me to come in with their marketing group and do a lifestyle or just a regular product shot um, of their food in the in the product as well. And that can be staged at a restaurant or at home or in some, you know, photo studio. Usually it's at home at somebody's home. Got it, got it. Yeah, so sometimes it just depends. If it's like a restaurant here, they might be like, hey, we want you to photograph our brunch menu for our new menus that we want to print out. So when did, you, when did you branch out to do your own thing full-time? Um, when I got laid off at Union Tribune. Which it was, was by mistake. Uh, like um, 2014. So you've been doing this seven years. Yeah, wow. yeah. I've been on my own. I was. It's funny that you asked me that because I was literally just thinking that today. I was like, man... I think being on my own has been now officially the longest job I've ever had. Do you ever find that that is as, if not more stressful than your time when you gained 60 pounds? I'm going to be honest. I'm going to say being having your own schedule is definitely stressful. I mean, it's not cut for everybody. Right. Um, and I think... You mean from a time management? Time management, if you have to live by check if you have to have a check every two weeks if you don't know if you just have to have a schedule like some for some people they like to know like i'm gonna go in and work my, i don't knock nine to fives nine to fives are there for a reason 100 percent. and i honestly sometimes do like the idea of being able to just say my job is to go in at nine i'm gonna get off at five and i can carry on with my life and leave everything at work right i don't have to worry about budgeting i don't have to worry about anybody else's finances i don't have to worry about these crazy other business fees that I might have to do throughout the year or I don't have to kind of hustle when I feel like work is low. How do you, how do you handle bill collecting? Is that something that like is a pain in the butt it's for you? A, or it's a it- pain in the butt for me. I still have clients that owe me money from November of 2000 and of last year. 2020 2020 yeah okay. i still have yeah yeah most cause, people just subtract a year yeah, these days because yeah, it's yeah. just a wash <laughs> yeah um so yeah i i i try to to go uh when it comes to billing i i try to you know say hey i know everybody's you know depend on you know depending on how big the company is i work with a lot of hotels as well oh cool so a lot of hotels they might be on like a net 30 because they they have to deal with vendors independent contractors you know, throughout the month. So they have a set schedule. Like we mail out all of our stuff at the end of the month for net 30 people or whatever. I'm assuming you have contracts for everybody yeah. you work with. Yeah. Who wrote those up? Did you consult a lawyer to do those or did you write them up? I write them up myself because I haven't, I'm not big enough yet to have situations where something legal I think could happen. The only thing that I think would probably be something where I wish I would have had a lawyer write this up as if someone failed to pay me. Like in the current situation I'm in now, I have three invoices from the same client that hasn't paid me yet. Right. And it's been what, like I said, since November. Right. So and four or five months. Yeah. So. so what if they decide they don't want to pay me? There's really not, I can take them to small claims court. It'll cost you more. But it's going to cost me yeah. more, you know. So having stuff written in a contract would help me 
get paid quicker probably. And if I had a lawyer look over it and be like, yeah, this sounds right. This, you can legally do this. Um, I think that's where I wish I maybe had a lawyer look over like a contract. Right. Do you have any plans to hire anybody or is it still just like a as need as needed basis? As needed right now. But the goal for me is to expand, yeah. you know, like what's every, your, what's your first move for expansion? I think my first move for expansion is probably just, you know, uh, you know, continue to push out good quality content, but to get the, that qua- that qua- good quality content out to the masses, you know, get the right eyeballs on it. And because I get most of my work is word of mouth. I never had to get on Craigslist and find like different specific jobs. It's always been just word of mouth or re- yeah, or reoccurring clients. So but the thing is, is a lot of times if it's a client that needs something, I'm able to do it. Plus the 50,000 other things I have to do. I want to be at the point where it's like, you know what? I could probably hire an editor and and just lose that cut, but take a small percentage a little bit. Right. Um. I just not on that level yet to be able to say, hey, I can hire a bunch of people. And I think it also has to come to maybe up in my rates a little bit, so it makes more sense to be like, oh, okay, I can definitely hire someone and comfortably be able to pay them, plus take a little cut too. Right. Um. I think just. I guess saying yes to a lot more clients, like and being able to say that I know I can do it, right? Despite the size of, of the project. If you haven't heard episode one of the Standard Age podcast, then let me tell you about my friend Tim Jackson. As owner of Passion Fine Jewelry, Tim and his team specialize in fine jewelry as well as some of the finest independent watch brands available. I'm talking about Gronfeld, Habring, Kudoki, Roger Smith, Roman Gauthier, Sarpaneva, the list goes on. The staff at Passion Fine Jewelry is literally made up of friends and family, so you will feel right at home if and when you visit. If California is out of reach, you can absolutely email or call the shop and they'll get you sorted. Visit passionfinejewelry.com for more information. As you all know, I'm a huge fan of using the right product for the right job. And like many of you, I appreciate products with a story. That's why I drive a Volkswagen GTI. It's a hot hatch with heritage. It's also why I'm into specific watches like my Tudor Blackbird. And that's exactly why I'm a fan of the indie accessory brand Contonement. Contonement makes a utilitarian cloth they simply call a kerchief. It's smaller than a standard bandana, but larger than a handkerchief, which makes it ideal to tuck in a back pocket or use as a neckerchief. I always take one on a bike ride or have one with me as a backup face covering. Not only do these kerchiefs satisfy several functions, but they look great too. Each set features illustrations celebrating icons of product design like the Omega Speedmaster, the Fender Stratocaster, or my favorite, of course, a classic GTI. Follow them on Instagram at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T-C-O. Or visit them at Contonement.co. And use the code STANDARDH in all caps no spaces for 20% off of absolutely everything in their online shop. Now let's get back to the show. You mentioned it earlier. You used to have a podcast, mm-hmm. the Nardcast. Yeah, the Nardcast. So when did that start and end and what, why did it end? It started when I was working at Arrowhead at the insurance company okay. back in 2008. Wow, it was early days. Yeah, early days. Um, it started because I wanted to, I guess, create an opportunity to be on the radio or 
or have some sort of experience. Right. Because for me, it's like, well, I'm the type of person where I'm not going to let opportunities kind of come to me. I'm just going to go for them. And for me, coming from North Carolina, small little town, three months of radio experience, coming to a big city in California, like no one's going to hire someone fresh from three months of experience. So for me, I was like, well, you know, what better way can I, you know, the only thing I could think of to at least get experience is kind of create that experience. So I'm sitting in an office, you know, eight plus, you know, hours out of the day. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to create a podcast. And podcasting was very new. Only NPR and like maybe a few other people were doing it, um, at least through iTunes. And a lot of DJs used it. You know, a lot of DJs used the podcasting platform to kind of like host a lot of their mixes. So I just took advantage. I was like, you know what? I'm sitting in the office for like eight hours in this cubicle with my headphones in, with my little iPad. I mean, iPod, and, you know, I can listen to my iPod while I work, and I'm just tired of hitting the shuffle button. I'm like, why don't I just create a playlist, mix it all together, and call it a podcast? And I was like, I'll call it the Narcast. And then the concept of, like, you know what? Let me introduce each song. Let me make it local. Let me just only play local music from San Diego. Right. No, that's a cool idea. Yeah, and then from there, it just came into this thing where it was like, I was known for local music for a little bit, and I kept at it for about two to, uh, from 2008 to about 2015, 2016 was when I was really starting to slow down a little bit because I had branched out into the food and beverage industry. Once I did that and started working for Union Tribune, it was tough trying to stay involved with the local music community because I was already involved in the local food scene now. Well, um, you know, I'm kind of. I've thumbed through like your Instagrams, yeah. right? Like you've got a few different handles, mm-hmm. yeah. right? You've got first and foremost, you've got Nard Villain, which is yeah, which is basically you, my personal page. Yeah, that's your personal page, and you've got Nardcast Media, yeah, which is your company, company, yeah. But then you've got the Nardcast. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about the Nardcast page is, <laughs> warning, the page may cause hunger, thirst, and weight gain. Yeah, you've got. Tons of beer, a lot of pizza, some sushi, mm-hmm. burgers. So it's mostly just food. Yeah. So why did you end Nardcast? Well, the so the, okay. the, the podcast. Yeah, I the mean. podcast portion. Um, it was because it was just so much. I was doing so much at one point where I couldn't handle. Because not only was I doing the podcast and doing the food stuff, I was also in two other podcasts at the oh, time, too. As a co-host? Yeah, as a co-host. I was co-hosting two other podcasts and then trying to upkeep the local music podcast. And at the same time, I was trying to create networks for the food content and the beer content plus the cocktail content. Got it. So I think I, at one point I was trying to be a little too big than what I, than what I was. Because I was trying to create the Narcast as a hub of different types of avenues you can go under that umbrella. So the Narcast was just going to represent the brand. Kind of like Vice. You know how like Vice has like Noisy and then they have the Eats and all that other stuff? I kind of wanted to be like a small local version of that at one point. So Narcast, went, I wanted the Narcast to be like the Social Holiday Hour podcast, the Narcast local music show, Drunken MMA Behind the Stick San Diego, where you get all your bartending and cocktail content. Okay, so I love that, like, mm-hmm. Behind the Stick. Yeah. And it's, I guess, just a page that features just, various bartenders. Yeah, just bartenders and cocktails. It's all you get on that. I think it's great, man. Yeah. I love that idea. 
Because, you know, like, I don't know if this is a North Carolina thing or if this is just, like, my personality. Like, it's ingrained in me. But, like, I think there's value in knowing your local bartender, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, if not for just to get a drink every once in a yeah. while on the house. Yeah. Let alone just somebody to talk to or whatever. It's kind of like your your neighborhood cheers, right. for example. Exactly. Um, how did that come about where you wanted to feature Was that just an extension of the food thing? And that was a, something that made sense or like why bartenders? It was something that, um, I was interested in. It was more like, I was really interested in like the craft of cocktails, but also the people behind the scene doing the, the crafting of the cocktails. Got it. And I wanted to bring my passions to something that I like. And I wanted to bring my passion to other people who are passionate about what their passions are. So my passion is creating stories, storytelling, and wanted to bring that together with people who are passionate about what it is that they do. Sure. And I wanted to highlight them and give them a platform that they can be superstars on. And that was the same reason why I created the the podcast initially was to, because I used to be in a band, I used to play music, and I think the most, the best feeling I ever got was someone came up to me and was like, man, I love your music and I like, the, I like the meaning of the songs or your guitar riffs awesome. And it's just that feeling that people, that I have the spotlight for a little bit, you know? So I wanted that feeling to be expressed to other people. Like, so yeah. that's why I created Behind the Stick. So I wanted a bartender who's been in the business for decades to be able to showcase something that they created and have them have the spotlight for what, for that segment, for that video. Well, and it's not only that, but obviously it'll live forever. Yeah, and it'll live it's forever. Because it's online. Yeah. And it's worldwide distribution. Yeah. Like, anybody can see this yeah. stuff. So, and I mean, you don't even see me on that. Like, none of the, if you noticed, well, lately I'm more present in my brand, but years ago I thought, like, I can... No one never needs to know who's behind the camera, who's who's doing it, you know? So I always wanted to feature... So that's an interesting point. You bring that up because like I struggle with that and I've only recently started to get in front of the camera and to do like the Wesley's watches thing Mm -hmm. and to do like, I mean, I obviously host this show, but it's clearly not about me. It's I host other people. Right. Um, how has that transition been for you? How are you taking to it? It's been weird because I know it makes sense. But for me, it's always been like, I just want to create platforms where people can shine, you know, but as a, I guess, as the audience wants to, yeah, sure. We like to see what the, you know, the bartender's up to and what they're crafting, but they're more about me. They like, they want to see like my workouts or they want to, you know, see what I'm eating or want me in front of the camera posing or whatever. So you're saying it's awkward for you, but you're actually finding that your audience enjoys it more. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because like I said, like for at least a few years, it's always just been about that restaurant. It's always been about that plate of food that I'm still doing that, but I'm branching out to be. How about take the picture, but be in the picture showing the food? Right. For me, I'm more thinking I want that picture to be, I want another client to see that picture. And I want them to be like, who took that picture? I need to hire them so they can do the pictures. That's why I'm never in them because I always had that business mentality of like, I just want someone to see a well-produced video 
So that way they see that and be like, oh, let's hire that guy to do our videos because we kind of wanted something similar to what he posted on his on his Instagram or whatever it is. Right. But now I'm thinking people want it to be a little bit more organic, though. People want to see the person behind the brand. You know, that's why they follow you most of the time is because you're showcasing them. You're, you're telling them, that, oh, this is a good place to go eat food. But when you're in the picture, it's like you're almost like giving it another plus like another check mark like i'm yeah like they make it like you being in the photo or the video makes it more believable that you're actually eating the food you're yeah. talking about as opposed to like yeah i hired somebody yeah. to go take a shot of exactly. this hamburger yeah yeah that makes sense so how are you like dealing with being more involved with your brand versus being on the outside and just producing product yeah, just being behind the scenes yeah um yeah, I mean, it's been kind of awkward um, doing like Instagram live, for example, mm -hmm. the first time I was so nervous, which is so weird because like having worked in retail forever, interfacing with people mm -hmm. like doing this podcast, I never get nervous, yeah. like not ever. And I, I'm also one to never get starstruck by anybody. Mm -hmm. So like, I mean, not that I've got like anybody crazy famous on the show, but like even if I did, it probably wouldn't bother me. But like the second the cameras turned on me, it's yeah. like, I find that I'm like stumbling over words and not being able to complete sentences. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's just kind of, and it's kind of weird because by doing that, I'm also worried about the production value, mm -hmm. meaning also like the framing yeah. of it. So like, for example, my wife hates this about me. Like, I hate being in photos and she always wants to have photos of us. Right. And although I love to be in the photos with her, for mm. example, like I also hate asking other people to take the photo yeah, for us. Take like photo. It, it drives me crazy. You know, I don't want to interrupt somebody's day. You know, they don't care about our photo. They don't even know us, you know, <laughs> but then, so then I turned to the infamous selfie, right? But because I'm worried about framing the photo, like my smiles always jacked up in my opinion, because like I'm so focused on holding the camera, not dropping it while hitting the, the button and then, you know, making sure it's framed correctly, making sure the lighting's right. And then by the time I'm doing all of that, like she's just standing there looking good and I'm like looking all twisted, you know? Yeah. And so my approach to, to the Instagram live and stuff is not much unlike that like where I feel like I look like an idiot and, <laughs> but, but the feedback to your point, or I guess to my question when I asked you is like, people are actually liking it, you know, like they, I guess they do want to see it. And yeah. it's tough too, you know, where like I start to think about different brands and how people are projected online and, and like, you know, like with celebrities, for example, them launching brands on the heels of them already being celebrities yeah. is just so much easier for them to make money because True. they already have an audience. Like if you are a YouTuber with a million followers on YouTube, I mean, it's a percentage game. If mm -hmm. you launch a, you know, a product, I mean, 1% is 10,000 people. Yeah. Only 1%. That's like, crazy. I mean, think about that. Like if you're going to make a t-shirt you're like, man, I want to sell some shirts. You've made some shirts, right? Yeah. For the Nardcast. Mm -hmm. 
Can you imagine just being like, man, I think this is pretty conservative at 10,000 orders. That's crazy. Like it's mind blowing. So it's like to find your audience, to find the right audience that's also engaged enough to buy your product. It's so damn hard, man. It is. It's, and especially when everything is so saturated, the market's crowded, the noise is everywhere. And, you know, I had this conversation the other day where like, just because something's popular doesn't mean it's good. Right. That is true. This might be an off topic question, but like for me, I want to ask you this, like, like what motive, what keeps you motivated? Cause I mean, your, you, your brand has been around and you probably answered this probably plenty of times on your show, but, Never. but like, what keeps you motivated? Like what keeps you going with your brand? Like, honestly, I think it's, um, you know, that's a really good question because it isn't just like one thing, right? Like, I guess it's just the creative outlet that keeps me going because, and I have mentioned the following before. Like when I think of stuff that I want to make, right? And to be blunt, I've only just recently started making the things that I really wanted to make. And I can expand on that later. But I have this thing where like my brain doesn't stop. Like I to go to sleep at night for me is very difficult because I'm just I'm just constantly thinking of ideas now, whether or not they're good ideas or not is that's secondary, but like, I'm just constantly thinking about how to be better. I just like, I'm really trying to produce better products. And like, I've always wanted to have a very well-respected brand and whether or not that is attributed to an ego problem I have, I don't know. Um, I'm not in therapy. I probably should be. Uh, but I think, I also experienced what I've mentioned before is creative vomit. Like my brain won't rest until I can get it out there. Now it could be a hat. It could be a t-shirt. It could be the watch box that I just released, uh, that took almost two years to make, uh, because of ideating and sampling. And that's the other thing too, that gets frustrating as a business owner, right? Mm -hmm. I'm dumping grips of money into this stuff, you know, and, Standard H was a side hustle for several years. So I'm working full time and, and thank God I'm, I'm in a relationship with a wife who also works because with both of our then salaries, we could live and I could dedicate certain, you know, discretionary income towards my business. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all of those things wrapped into one. Now, I, I guess that is the, the creativity is what keeps me going, I think. Mm -hmm. And also my brand isn't where I want it to be. Right. So I know I still have a ton of work left to do because I have this vision. Like I want a brand with an office with people mm -hmm. working in it. I want to be able to have that wall of a mood board, like, because I've worked for those brands. I know what those offices look like and I want that for myself not because what I do is better than everybody else and stuff. It's just, no, it's like, I just want a brand to call my own and I can share these with friends and family. And, and if patrons come along for the ride, then it's all the better, you know, like, I, I think that's what it is. And, and my assortment isn't where I want it to be. My revenue isn't where I want it to be. 
Um, so those are the things that keep me motivated because one day I do want that Porsche and it's Mm -hmm. not about the stuff. It's not the superficial drive that I have. It's that I appreciate the art of those products. Mm -hmm. Like I can't go out and build a car tomorrow. Like I, I don't know how, you know, but I used to sell Porsches and I've driven them and they make the driving experience something I genuinely love. Mm -hmm. Incredible. You know, it's like, it's like wearing the wrong pair of shoes forever and then finally getting a custom pair of shoes and you're just like, holy smokes, like this is what a comfortable pair of shoes is like. Like that's kind of what like, for me at least, driving a 911 is like. Yeah. Not to say that I fit in the car better than another car, <laughs> but, but it's just, it, look, there's a reason that car hasn't really changed much since 1964 i mean it looks amazing it's timeless design and they keep getting better performance wise which is just mind-blowing and it's that type of persistence to be better that is also i think embedded in my brain whether i like it or not and like i just want my products to be better i want them to also be a little different like i feel like the standard h look is a look you know what i mean like that whole appreciating the past, but presented in a modern way. I love like it. that that's, that's the brand, right? Like I'm not going to do anything that's industry changing or like, Oh my God, I'm reinvented the wheel. Like that's not what the brand's about. It's just about very specific specialty products that people can appreciate yeah. and use. And they do serve a purpose. Like there's a million different places to buy a t-shirt. I feel like my logo is pretty special. So I slapped the logo on a couple of things and people love the logo. So logo I started making a bunch of logo stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not even a logo guy. I like the hats, you know what I mean? But yeah. like I'm wearing a black t-shirt <laughs> as I do almost 99% of the days. I must admit the logo is awesome. Cause I'm, I appreciate manual drive, you know, manual. So I well, just thanks, love, man. I mean, I'm not even a crazy car guy, but I just love the experience I get driving manual and just sure. seeing that logo look modern. It just looks, I just love it. Well, and right. And I mean that no car today has a four speed in it. Mm-mm. Not, not one, Mm-mm. but the logo stands up as a modern representation of still what exists, yeah. which is a stick shift. Mm-hmm. There's just, now they have, I think seven speeds, maybe they have seven now. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. If anything, anyway, yeah. wow, yeah, my logo would be all kinds yeah. of crazy with the yeah. sevens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I honestly feel like to key to success is honestly for me is those sleepless nights. Those you're always creative. I can't even literally have a nice night with my with my girlfriend without mistakenly zoning out because I'm thinking of my next move or I'm thinking of that creative process or I'm just thinking I should be in the office editing or thinking of the next thing. And I think that's what a lot of successful people will tell you. It just never stops. Well, and I think it's because of the, the, um, the cliche of like, you know, find something you love and you never work a day in your life. And that's just it, man. Like I totally identify with what you're doing Mm because yes, I too get, you know, yelled at by the missus yeah. for maybe yeah. drifting a little bit mentally. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because it isn't work for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it genuinely is fun. Yeah. 
Um, being a direct-to-consumer brand, 99% of my sales, I'm not a bill collector, That which is a blessing. Yeah. But the curse of that is I don't have like the free advertising that is known of my shirts being on the shelves of brands or, or excuse me, you know, big box stores, for mm-hmm. example, like, I don't know, uh, Nordstrom, yeah. right? Like they have stores all over the place. If I could get into Nordstrom, I'm already reaching demographics that like, I don't have to pay for those eyeballs. Right. Like they are paying me mm-hmm. to try to help me sell my stuff to those in, I don't know, Dallas, Texas, for example. Whereas like if I wanted to target Dallas, I'd have to go on to like Google ads or, or, you know, like AdWords or, you know, Facebook marketing or Instagram ads and and try to target those in those zip codes. And that takes money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I was, I was always curious about that because even though we both, you know, doing our own thing, but it is kind of different because I'm more offering a service that has to collect the bills, but you're providing a product that should just generate an income based on how you push it out to the audience, whether, like you mentioned, whether it's Google ads or word of mouth or through your website or through all your branding or marketing campaigns or whatever. And then conversely though, from a monetary implication, like mine costs more upfront. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've got to pay for my goods before they can get sold. Yeah. Whereas like you're either answering the call or you're not, which has its obvious, you know, positives and negatives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a grind. It is. It's a grind. And as you mentioned earlier about the stresses, I would never, honestly, no matter how stressful sometimes it can be just wondering like, well, you know, how much money I'm going to make or whatever, but just waking up knowing that, you know, someone out there is, is excited to, whether it's me posting something on Narcast or whether it's me putting together a video for a client, you know, my goal out of the day is if, if they're happy, you know, I feel like I've done my job. If I made someone laugh because of a photo I posted or if someone went to that restaurant because I raved about it or or if they just saw something, happened to just see something on, online and or they saw a product that I did and now they're contacting me, that to me, that, that that's worth all the, the years of, of wondering if. I want, I even want, there's been days I woke up and like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? <laughs> cause I mean, it's like, it's like marriage. It's like sometimes you, well, for me, it's like, cause I'm not married, but I compare, I look at the Narcast as a long-term commitment marriage. Like I've been, I've been married to Narcast for 12 years. Sure. We've been through so many changes where to the point where it's like, there's been days where I was like, man, this isn't worth it. You know, like. I'm tired of being lowballed or I'm Well, let me ask you this. Like when you say you're tired of being lowballed because I don't know what you charge. But like let's say you compare yourself to I guess a larger agency, mm-hmm. right? Like what are the differences that those people are paying for? Is it literally production value? Because like in fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Like your fabric could right, cost that's more. True. Yeah. Like your labor could cost more depending yeah. on where you're having your item produced. It could be the product. It could be um, the size of the production. Um, and then also, for me, it boils down to confidence. Like, I feel like I should be confident enough to be like, I can produce probably some of the greatest video work, 
even on a solo tip in in all of San Diego. That should be my that should be my attitude. But at the end of the day, it's like my attitude is I hope I'm not paying charging too much or, you know, I want this gig because I don't want to be too high. I don't want to be too low. But what if they don't like it? What if it's not on? What if they consider it a lower end product? You know what I mean? So I Yeah, but what if they paid for it? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's kind of (laughs) like I should honestly take my rates and treat it as if for what it's worth. You know, I push out. Great. See, I almost did it then. I, I was about to say, I think I push out good co- quality content. When the when I should be saying, I do push out good quality content, and people should be paying for for what I'm asking for. Right. Versus always sometimes, as I mentioned, getting having low ball, getting low ball rates or whatever. Yeah, you know, yesterday I had a conversation um, with a friend, and we were talking about price. Um, are you on Clubhouse? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think I followed you. I'm not sure. If I didn't follow you, I'll follow you. Yeah. Um, And we were just talking about like perception, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is the brand perception? Because like Gucci, for example, they'll charge you $480 for a t-shirt. That's crazy. And like if you go back 20 years ago, hell, even 15 years ago, typically products were made for a price just for the sake of math. Let's make it Mm -hmm. easy. If your cost as a manufacturer, like for standard age, let's just hypothetically say a t-shirt cost me 10 bucks. I would sell it to Nordstrom for 20. So double, Mm -hmm. they would sell it to you, the customer for 40. Okay. Well, that's not the case anymore because of greed and things that have happened in the last 15 years margins Mm -hmm. but like for you there's no like markup like that Mm -hmm. but there's still the perception of price right so Mm -hmm. if somebody picks up the phone and is like and you're like hi this is Jannard you know and somebody's like well I need you to do this video production how much are you going to charge I mean I guess you could say well what's your budget right or you could say my price is ten thousand dollars yeah and they're like, oh my goodness, like, Jannard, like, I've called four other people. You are by far the the highest. Mm-hmm. And actually, the next closest is six grand. What on earth are you doing for the extra four Gs? What do you say? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, but then again, in their brain, you got to be doing something different. Right. That's true. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. Whether or not you're using a better camera or your editing is just super trick and like you're just making it look insane, like super cool. Mm. And it could be, is is the shoot two days? Like, is it a commercial uh, yeah, shot? Yeah, I mean, all those oh, things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. But my point being is like, is that a branding tactic? Because Gucci is not, I'm yeah. telling you right now for $480, they are not spending, what would that be? $120 to make a shirt. Yeah. They're not spending $120. So it's, bucks it's sometimes the shirt. price can be backed up by the brand and not the quality of, of what it is, too. Sometimes, totally. too. You know, like, totally. You know, like, you know, there's agencies out there yeah. that, all right, you know, where you see this often. And as a small business owner who makes my own website, is website companies. And I, I'm not saying they all rip people <laughs> off. Don't get me wrong. But 
I've made those phone calls and they wanted $20,000, $40,000 to wow. do things that like literally can be done on Squarespace for $30 mm -hmm. a month with a free, like, uh, whatever the preset yeah, is. Yeah. Little templates and the stuff template. like that. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah. I think sometimes when it comes to certain services, like people be like, man, you, why you like, it's like, why would you charge this for editing? I was like, okay, well it's going to take me eight hours right. to edit it. Maybe edit this project. It's going to take you maybe three days, four days. Well, and so not interrupting you, but like that. And so that's, that's where that value comes from for paying somebody $20,000. Right. Because yeah. let's just say like I'm a business making $20,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. But it would take me a month to make a website. Yeah. That's $20,000 yeah. that I'm like, you that's know what I mean? Lot. Like hey, it's I a lot of time. I can't believe people are charging that much for websites. Oh, all day long, man. That's crazy. All day long. Wow. So... That's I'm where it becomes business. like this complete like mind fuck. Yeah. Because you're just like, wait, I don't want to spend $20,000 on a website. Yeah. Like, and maybe that's why my website looks the way it does. I don't know. But like, I'm, I'm working on it and I'm coming out with a new one, but I can guarantee you what I'm building is not going to cost me $20,000 to do it yeah. of my own time. Right. So well, what else you want to talk about, man? Uh, I just have one question for you. Uh, I don't want to be here all night, but um, you, as you mentioned in short-term goals and stuff, I mean, I'd love to know, like, what are some of your goals that you have now written down that you might think you can kind of accomplish short-term wise? Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly still trying to knock out this new line of t-shirts. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of told you before we started recording that there's been a lot of hiccups there, you know, no thanks to COVID, but... Um, it honestly might be even a blessing in disguise, to be honest, just due to the fact that it's been delayed so that I could focus my energies on other things as opposed to doing it all at once. So I don't know. I'm just trying to remain optimistic from that perspective. Um, I'm super excited about them. I've talked about them before. I'll talk about it again. It's North Carolina grown cotton. Mm. And then pretty much every other step of the way is done within a five mile radius in Los Angeles. And the impetus behind that was to try to shrink my carbon footprint of some of the products that I make and really try to um, have that balance of, yes, car-inspired brand, cars run on gas, which isn't great for the environment. Maybe some of the products I make could help maybe offset that. Now, mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I'd love to be carbon neutral, I'm first of all, I'm not big enough to offset those types of things, right? Like you take one flight a year and I'm screwed from a business perspective, mm. uh, you know, from a carbon neutral standpoint, but that's, you know, a whole other can of worms. But so the shirts are definitely short term. Um, I think not so distant, but not quite short term is, um, honestly, man, I, I'm going to sit down to, to write a more focused business plan. And what that will incur is hopefully raising some capital because right now my advertising budget is zero. Um, I'd really like to reach some new eyeballs mm -hmm. and even with the podcast, some new ears. Um, I haven't quite sat down to research yet what advertising for a podcast would look like. I, I have done some research for advertising for what my brand could look like. Um, I mentioned earlier, I'm 99% direct to consumer through my website. Um, there are a couple stores I've got on my radar that I would really like to sell wholesale to. 
primarily through like the t-shirt sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say like off the cuff, those are like really the, the two, like releasing the t-shirts then, well, and I'm also working on the cycle squad stuff, the, the road biking that I do, I've released, you know, a custom kit, we call it. So a Jersey and, and, you know, cycling shorts, which are in the form of bibs. Um, I'm working on a new kit that should be coming out soon. Nice. Um, so yeah, just like little products Those here and like there. That. That's cool. But like the big picture is like, the funny thing too is, is like a lot of times people are like, oh yeah, you, you've got the podcast and then you've got these products and it's just like, oh man, I've obviously done something way wrong because I'm like, I'm a products brand first mm-hmm. and a podcast second, you yeah. know, but I mean, whatever gets the ears and eyeballs, it's all good. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I, I want, I don't know, I guess maybe I need to find a better way to communicate that it is like separate multi- entities kind of, right? Well, it's, it's just a multifaceted brand, yeah. you know, and I hate that lifestyle brand. Like I, I consider it specialty products. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're think none of this stuff anybody needs, right? Right. Like these are want based products. These are emotional purchases. Um, but with that comes more emotion and, you know, subscription to brand ethics and supporting the charities that I do through the sales of my products and things like that. So bolstering those sales in order to help those entities is, is another goal that's on the heels of, of short-term goals as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a lot, man, there's, mm. there's a lot for sure. That's cool though. And, uh, my last question, Max, I know, uh, you're obviously you're the host, but I'm just curious because I'm getting so much value just from just sitting here, hanging out with you. And, and I just feel like from your experience owning your own business and giving me a little tips to, um, to better myself on, on my goals too with my business. And you've just interviewed like so many people throughout the years with your podcast and, you know, everywhere from someone who's on their own watch company to just, you know, different people in the industry, just gathering all that information and say someone was trying to start up their own company or whatever, like what in your experience, from your experience and all these other um, people that you've, you've came across just through your interview interviewing like what one piece of advice would you give someone now that you know and you experienced it in regards to starting their own business sure yeah i mean honestly like i i was interviewed yesterday for the carolina watch club Mm. and then we just like went through several of my watches and we were just kind of talking and and bryant the host who's awesome asked me this question and and really it's just i think it's just doing it like as much as it sucks to fail, as you said earlier, Mm -hmm. like it's necessary, you know? So like, I think it was Mark Zuckerberg actually, when he started Facebook, he was like, move fast and break shit. Mm -hmm. Like that was like what he told people because you're only going to find better ways to do things is if you can find a way to break it. You know, like I kind of think about Porsche in this sense, like, how do we make a better suspension for this car? Well, you find out where it's like endpoint is mm-hmm. like where, what's its threshold? Like, how do we get this better? Well, you got to break this one first. That makes sense. And then figure out why it broke or how it broke and then make it better from that perspective. 
Now, going back to your question, it's the same mentality of like, don't be afraid of failure. Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, man, like I genuinely feel in, in myself included in what I'm about to say, 99.9% of people don't start businesses because of fear. Yeah. And like, for me, I was too scared to do it. Like, and honestly, if you want to get technical about it, you pay your 800 bucks a year to start your LLC. Mm -hmm. You now have a business. Yeah. Now you, you can argue, you can argue, too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could argue it's all uphill from there or yeah. downhill from yeah. there. Like how, however, you know, is the glass half full or half mm -hmm. empty. Now the thing is, is like just doing it because in I, yesterday's interview, I, I also mentioned Peter Thiel's book. He was one of the founders of PayPal. It's called zero to one. And he's basically just talking about the point is, is like the hardest part is going from nothing to just one. Yeah. Not a hundred, not 60, but just one. Like that's, that's the most intense it's going to be from there. It's like, what are you doing? Like, what are we doing? Yeah. You building a website, you have friends, you know, let me, and people will help you. Like, that's the thing is like as much fear as you may have to start a business, your friends and family will do whatever they can to help you. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, man. I just think that like, and honestly, this is part of the reason I started this podcast is to like help and encourage and, and motivate those who are sitting on their hands at that nine to five cubicle mm -hmm. job, contemplating blowing their brains out to get off their hands and go start their business. They've always wanted to, because like myself, I still worked that 40 hour week job mm. actually was 40 plus and did it on the side. Like I just, I worked on the weekends and like I launched my LLC or bought it, whatever in February. And I launched my website in August. That's six months. Now you could look at the calendar and be like, holy shit, that's a long time. Or you could look at your life's calendar and be like, six months isn't that long. No. And True. then try to keep building and building and building to the point where you can finally quit that full-time job. If that's your dream. Yeah. Now your dream may be to keep doing that 40 hour a week job and just hustle photos or something, go taking photos of cars on cars and coffee every Saturday and then selling the prints or mm -hmm. like whatever your grind is like, you just got to start, man. Yeah. That's that, so funny. You say that because I literally just tweeted that. You got to start because the the only failure is not starting. A hundred percent. Yeah, totally. And that's like any relationship. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, these are long-term relationships that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you don't actually go on that first date, that relationship's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's the same thing for sure. Yeah. Mm. Well, man, this has been fun. I'm yeah. glad you came over. I hope I hope the beer was good. Yeah, the beer was good, and I didn't bleed all over the place like last time. Oh, my God, that's yeah, right. Yeah, remember that? You brought cans. You're smart this time and did cans. Oh, my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I was like, man, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I'm over here bleeding all over the place <laughs> at this dude's house. For the, you know, I was like, man. Yeah. Oh, man, what a trip. Well, Jannard, I can't thank you enough, man. Like, this is a fun format to do. I think it's obviously a lot more conversational and, and two-way mm -hmm. kind of discussion and 
even more informal than most of my discussions. So <laughs> no, I appreciate you doing it, man. Yeah, well, I'm always happy to hang out and I'm glad we were able to do the podcast. And Yeah, for sure. It's been a while, man. I'm glad we were able to catch up finally. Totally. Yeah. All right, buddy. Well, I'll uh, catch you soon for another beer. Yes. Absolutely. Maybe in the next two minutes. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Big thanks goes out to Jannard again. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show. And while you're there, if you don't mind rating and even leaving a short review, it helps way more than you think. Please give Standard H a follow on Instagram at Standard H underscore, as well as the podcast page at Standard H underscore podcast. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track, as well as the clear audio for the noise canceling headphones. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Standard Age podcast in two weeks' time. Thanks again for listening.